Hey, welcome to Raven Conversations, the show where we talk about the news and information around the Washington National Guard, as well as in-depth conversations with the people who make it all happen. I'm your host, Jason Kreiss, and I'm here with Sarah Morris from I'm, the Public Affairs Office. I'm here in the <laughs> intro. This never happens. Yeah. The reason why we're doing this intro together is there's a there's a reason. So, yeah. um, Jason's like... He doesn't like you guys anymore, and he's leaving. JK. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so over the next couple episodes, we're probably going to phase me out of these shows because I will be leaving on a deployment here in a couple months. Yeah, uh, we have some pre-recorded material that we still need to get out, but um, eventually it'll be mostly my voice. So <laughs> buckle up, everybody. It's going to be a wild ride. Um, today's show we are going to talk with major scott deary he is an information operations officer and he is in the 156th io battalion which is uh at the iorc on jblm and it's super interesting conversation yes and we learn a lot about how they're basically a relationship manager personnel personality manager (laughs) all of those all of those wrapped into one yeah um yeah io is 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 fairly new in pretty new in the Uh, the history of the army yes in the vast history yeah yeah it's only only i think the the io group stood up in 2007 2008 sometime i mean that sounds right um, but I think, yeah, they identified the need for a central nervous system for all these different communication-related capabilities, yeah. information-related capabilities, and then uh, figured we needed somebody to sort of be at the middle of this vast, you know, web of different types of yeah. Of capabilities, so and they're they're really they're they're like problem solvers too. It's yeah, like they take take a, a co- the commander's intent. In, yeah, intent, and they 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 come up with a bunch of different courses of action, and yeah. they take all things into consideration. What could happen if if something goes this way? How can we use and they you know communication devices to yeah send messages and, and they um, help public affairs professionals yeah. like us. Uh, make sure we're not treading on the toes of the different information-related capabilities. Yeah. So important to us too. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. and it's important to note that oh. we traveled up to. Oh yeah, we did. Microsoft. Yeah, campus we're, we totally in Redmond to visit with Major Deary and. Uh, yeah. Got a nice little tour of the campus. Yeah, I mean, nice. I guess we had to travel <laughs> up to the Microsoft campus. It was a big bummer. Jake. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. And it was super pretty. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was our first time there, so. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Same. I'd never been to Microsoft before, but I'd go back probably. So we pretty much work there now. Yeah, so, we got yeah. badges. They had our names on them. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Okay. So, without further ado, here's our conversation with Major Scott Deary. Have have fun.
Washington is earthquake country. Are you prepared? Earthquakes can create a series of big waves called tsunamis. Do you know your evacuation routes or how long it takes to reach high ground safely? Learn how to protect yourself from a tsunami. Check with your local emergency manager or visit mil.wa.gov tsunami. Before disaster strikes, get two weeks ready. Make a plan. Build a kit. Become involved. Be a preparedness champion. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's W-A National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. Scott, and is it Deary? Yes, Scott okay. Deary. Awesome. You're in the I.O.? Yep, so I'm in currently in the 156 I.O. Battalion, so the battalion element of the TIOG. Right, which is the Theater Information Correct. Operations Group Absolutely. for those that are uninformed. And what cool. does that entail? As far as at the battalion level or? Sure, or what your job is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm currently an IO planner, so just um, sort of specialized being an IO generalist. Mm -hmm. um, so in general, when we think of IO or information operations from the Army and the joint perspective, um, our job is really the same no matter where we go. Right. We're really there to synchronize, coordinate, and deconflict. Uh, the different things that we call information-related capabilities or IRCs. So at the battalion level, we organize into your traditional like companies. Yep. Um, but in those companies, instead of having like your squads, mm -hmm. instead we have um, FSTs, which are field support teams. And they're smaller. Um, they are smaller, so they can go anywhere from like the smallest element would be like a three-man team. Right. Um, that then would deploy forward to basically plus up a battalion or as large as a 13-man team that could actually go and support up to like a two-star command. Right. I mean, it goes anywhere in between those. Um, and each of those FSTs is normally comprised of um, an FA-30, which is a functional area 30, that's what I am. Right. Um, and then you also have then a senior NCO, um, normally E6 um, or E7. And then you have um, then smattering of other elements there, whether they be, you know, a captain or a couple of E6 or E5, it's really sort of like depends on what the mission set's going to be. Right. Um, so that's how that's arranged. Then when you go up a level, you have a group instead of a brigade. Um, and then the group is basically there to um, coordinate all the actions going on between the two battalions under it. So we have one battalion in Washington and then one battalion actually in Maryland, the 110th. Okay. And then also you have uh, SOD-P, um, which is Special Operations um, Detachment. Detachment Pacific, Pacific. Yeah. Um, the 341st MI uh, Battalion, and then you also have um, Alpha 119th SF. Okay. Um, that's also part of the TIOG. So at that group level, they're really there to try to 
again, it's the IO way to synchronize, coordinate, and deconflict. Right. What's going on with all the different elements, whether they be battalion <coughs> elements or smaller elements, um, to have a uni basically your traditional unity of effort on whatever the current task is. So can you like go in a little bit deeper on that, like synchronize, coordinate, and deconflict? Mm -hmm. Like, what is the actual? Are you are you in like a, uh, a staff and you just uh, do you get like a like a good picture of the assets that the commander has in the battlefield and you put together courses of action like mm -hmm. what could go one way and go yeah absolutely way? so um, like organizationally <clears throat> when we go forward we um, go in as like a J three nine or an S three nine. So we integrate within the three shops, so within operations. Um, so that's firmly where we, like, if you want to think of, like, stovepipes, that's the stovepipe that we're in. Mm -hmm. um, we roll up to, you know, the three. Um, but then um, we're really unique as far as IO doesn't actually own anything. Right. Yeah. So we're literally there to assist the commander with all the other resources he has um, to unify, have that uni unity of effort. Um, from stuff that he actually owns or stuff that he's able to influence or stuff that he's able to request. Mm. Um, so a good example of that would be public affairs, which answers directly to the commander, yeah. um, but then is very tightly interwoven into what's going on in the current operation space. Um, not so much future ops, but definitely current ops. Mm -hmm. um, and then at the same time, you have elements like MISO, which is Military Information Support Operations, um, formerly known as PSYOP, okay. that the commander normally will have at his, you know, ready too. So in some areas, MISO will actually or organize underneath the J39. So even though they're a separate element. So at that point, then your actual 39, the person, as opposed to the staff element, is then responsible for making sure that what's going on with the, your traditional psychological operations isn't causing information fratricide with what's going on with public affairs, mm -hmm. which is right. the most ready example. But then it goes beyond that too, where whether it be humanitarian assistance, civil affairs, or you know, to include you know, you know, physical operations. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the one thing that we always you know remind people is that uh, physical destruction is an information-related capability. You know, if we when you're deployed forward. Um, and you go through the target list and when you take out a target, when you destroy a building, that's definitely going to have an impact in the information environment. Mm -hmm. right. And that's one of the key things that um, we always have to remember. It's not just about the, um, like the, 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 the soft, you know, like the traditional, like, you know, winning the hearts and minds of people type of stuff. Right. It's also more about understanding how physical actions are going to be perceived and what audience is going to perceive those. So in many ways, you know, we have to think about from the perspective of like a local population, the perspective of the enemy, the perspective of our allies, and also the perspective of our own forces. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So would you guys say that you guys are problem solvers in a way? Um, I mean, I think at our core, that's a very good question. I've never thought about it that way. I think it's our job to identify where the problems are going to be mm. and almost to predict those areas of conflict. Um, and then once we identify those areas, then proactively address them. Um, there's always going to be, 
you know, like the traditional battle drill of um, like uh, civilian casualty on the battlefield is, is a pretty common one, right? Where we have mm -hmm. a, a standard procedure for like, right, this is what's going to happen if there's, you know, the report, uh, the report of a CIVCAS. You know, we go, like you snap to a battle drill, you interact, you deal with it, and you deal with that problem. Mm -hmm. But then there's other things like understanding that, all right, we're going to have a, a column of forces going through this area. Um, well, what's that can actually do to the population? And is that going to cause any, like, second-order effects as far as, like, all right, so they're going to engage the enemy, but then is that going to cause, you know, a mass exodus of people right. that are trying to escape the battle zone? Mm -hmm. You know, so then how do you deal with that? And then that is now another audience that you need to address because you ideally have a plan for where you want those people to go. And, again, you've coordinated with civil affairs and... You know, uh, and HA, you know, humanitarian assistance, so you can coordinate that. So that way you can communicate to that audience to have them go to point A instead of point B, which they could potentially be going the exact opposite way where you want them to go. They could be going towards, like, future conflict space. Interesting. Wow. It's very complicated. It's super complicated, especially <laughs> because the major players that the I.O. is dealing with, they don't own those people. So those, in, those information-related capabilities, they work for the commander yes. and his staff as directed. Um, and then the I.O., they're trying to synchronize those people. And in my experience, that was the toughest part and obviously the most important part was to make sure things like PA and MISO weren't saying <laughs> the same thing with different endings, right? So like if MISO is saying something... It to, to meet an end, um, and that's not the truth of it. Obviously, we don't want public affairs to say the same thing and have have our uh, credit, you know what I mean? This, that takes our credit away. Our credibility? Not, yeah, our yeah. credibility. Okay. So <coughs> it's tough, but it also is tough because those people that they have to sync with, they don't necessarily always want to um, <laughs> be synchronizing with the IO, especially when, with time and stuff. But yeah, it's complicated. Wow. It is complicated and it is, um, as much as we're all about um, synchronized coordinating and deconflict, it's really all about relationships. Yes. Um, you know, you have to have a relationship with all your peers, you know, staff and all your staff um, at your various outstations throughout the world. Um, so I, um, about a year ago now, came back from a deployment, um, which was um, in Sajidif, OIR, so Operation Inherent Resolve, which was the fight against ISIS. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a special operations joint task force. Um, so we um, had elements, obviously, all throughout the battlefield, but then we also had elements all throughout the world that were trying to synchronize the effects that they could provide on the battlefield. Um, but then at the same time, not causing some sort of you know, loss of capability to our partner forces. You know, um, one of the IRCs that we used a lot was electronic warfare, um, which is not what you'd normally consider to be like one of those core parts of IO. You always immediately think of like PAO and MISO. Right. But electronic warfare... Crucial. Yeah. Especially against ISIS. Absolutely. Um, because ISIS is very effective at taking stuff that you can buy commercially 
um, and then operationalize it for their the use in their military. Um, the challenges that we had was that our partner force was doing the exact same thing, uh, whether it be our partner force in Iraq or our partner force in Syria. So we can't just go and have an aircraft fly and just tell them, just jam everything. Right. Because then, you know, you'll be jamming, great you jammed ISIS, but also now you're jamming yeah. your, partner, your partner force. Yeah. Um, and there's also a case, maybe you don't want to like jam everything. Right. right. Maybe we're trying to actually get a message out to the population that in that conflict was, you know, really in an information constrained environment. You know, it was very hard to get information in. So if you're able to selectively allow some information in, then that information really does have a lot of power. Right. Um, and that's when we sort of think about the three environments of how people actually perceive information, right? All information starts in the physical domain and then transforms from physical to that informative or that informational domain, but finally winds up in the cognitive domain. Um, and really, one of the things that we have to figure out is with those IRCs that we have, where do they actually touch those three spots? Because we haven't quite figured out how to directly have a cognitive impact on somebody. Social media. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had to figure out, like, really, you know, all right, what can actually impact a, a, the physical information environment, you know, like traditional leaflets? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and what actually can, like, skip that physical and go straight into the informational? Like, social media is a great example mm -hmm. of that. And how do you leverage social media? Um, even though your target audience may not actually have internet access. Right. Um, but it's word of mouth is the first form of social media. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it doesn't have to be on Facebook or Twitter to right. basically go through that exact same network. SMS messaging. Mm -hmm. <coughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <coughs> no. I mean, that's the toughest part, right? Especially against an enemy like ISIS, where the adversary is so good at the information portion of it. Absolutely. I mean, that was our biggest challenge as well, I, almost a year before you were there. <laughs> so I can completely uh, relate to that challenge. <laughs> and it's um, definitely an interesting environment um, as an information operations like nerd, um, where you go into this area where having a radio or having a satellite dish is basically like a death sentence, right? So if you're caught with one, chances are you're going to be executed. Right. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a very, you know, strong, you know, boundary that you have to get through. So you have to figure out, like, how do you get through in other ways? Like, exactly. Like, we, um, we joke sometimes about, like, dropping leaflets, you know, and people are like, well, you're dropping leaflets, but what are you really doing? And in many ways, it's not about what's written on the leaflet. It's about the, you're showing that we have the ability to drop this leaflet. Right. Mm. You know, and then um, ISIS isn't dumb. They figured this out. So then they send out teams to go collect all the leaflets. So then you have to think, like, well, then who's the target audience of the leaflet? Yeah. Is it the po local population or is it maybe the people who are picking up the leaflets? Right. Um, and then you have to think about stuff I never even imagined, like readability of a yeah. leaflet, right? Did you <clears throat> need something that... Someone has to hold in their hand to be able to read. I mean, and do they need to read? It, are, <laughs> exactly. Like, are, is it is it a literate society? Right. Or is it just simply need to be pictures so exactly. that if they, they don't have to, like, pick it up off the ground, they can just look at it and they know 
like what it means. Yeah. Yes, no, these are the discussions that happen yeah. in the IO, <laughs> with the IO, wow. the whole group, yeah. <clears throat> so it sounds like there's a lot of outside the box kind of thinking that goes on to the, these operations. Um, have, okay, you've been in the IO for quite some time now? Yeah, going on eight years. So you've seen it morph and, and evolve over the years and change. How? What are some of the biggest changes you've seen as um, far as... When uh, I came into IO, um, it was all about inform and influence activities. And it was very, like, almost like dogma. Mm -hmm. Either you're going to inform an audience or you're going to influence an audience. And it was very black and white. Um, so when you look at, again, going back to PAO versus MISO, PAO is only an informed capability. That's right. Mm -hmm. And MISO is only an influence capability. So then for I.O., it's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to synchronize these two things if you're telling me I'm not allowed to inform with the intent of influencing? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I.O. has definitely moved beyond that very stringent, you mm -hmm. know, when you're actually writing out your... Um, your IO effect, you know, like this is going to be an influence or this is going to be an informed. It'd be more opening up to your traditional, you know, battlefield effects statements um, to be like, no, it is all about the battlefield. And while everything does come back to some form of informing or influencing, and there absolutely are constraints um, on some audiences, you can only seek to inform. Right. You know, the domestic audience is a great example of that. You know. Right. You only tell them the information. Yeah, we only yeah. seek to inform domestic audience, but in right. our environment too, you also have your allies um, who are the same, same. Like they're still an audience. Um, so we also, you know, have to seek to inform them. But obviously, that's not you know be foolish, right? We want them to remain within our coalition, right? You know, so there is, you know, a fragment of influencing there. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a little bit of influencing when you, yeah. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, yeah. like, it all comes back to intent. You know, are you, right. is the intent of your operation um, to directly target an ally? If so, that's probably not a good idea. Um, but if your intent in our case was to directly target ISIS, um, and then there's other, you know, second order and tertiary effects of that, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's, really what IO has opened up more to mm. and more embracing some of the outlier IRCs like um, like cyber and electronic yeah. warfare and CA and HA um, and particularly you know physical destruction yeah yeah <clears throat> it's complicated yes just a little bit just <laughs> a tiny bit it's not so much complicated as there's just a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then you guys are the ones that are keeping tabs and trying to trying, synchronize trying all of those. Desperately. <laughs> trying desperately. Trying desperately. It's sort of like hurting cats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oof. Oof. I know. But at the same time, it's more about applying like the Stephen Covey model onto understanding like your peers. Right. Right. Because you have you like you have your sphere of control. That stuff that. Basically, you can go to the three and say, I want someone to be, I need someone. You never say I want, right? <laughs> I really need somebody to do this. And ultimately, the three can be like, all right, we're going to do a direct tasking for that to happen. Right. Mm -hmm. But then you have the sphere of influence, and that's those other assets that are available. Like, 
I would really like to have an aircraft with XYZ capability, you know, support this operation. You know, so then you have to build that rapport so that... Yeah. Hmm. I would know, really love a Commander Solo aircraft <laughs> to go project radio signals <laughs> over this piece of land. Yeah, we love Commando Solo. Yeah. Um, it's the best. Like, what, real, what quick, real quick tangent. So Commando Solo is yeah. literally... So it's a National Air National Guard unit out yep. of Pennsylvania. They're amazing. Um, they literally, they fly for six months out of the year because yep. they're na traditional National Guardsmen. Um, and then six months downtime, and then they come right back. Um, mm -hmm. But they are literally a flying radio station. Yep. And they're amazing. Yep. Really? Yeah. Never heard about this. Mm -hmm. They project radio to whoever's got radio down below. And traditional FM radio. Traditional FM radio. Mm -hmm. um, and they can also do like handheld push to talk radios yeah. too, right? So everyone immediately will go to like, oh, well, that's great, right? And then we had a radio wheel going all the time, you know, that there's six hours of content a day, right? You know, whenever they're flying. But then we could also have them during that content, they have other, you know, antennas on that bird. So then we could have them again, you know, interacting with our target audience right. in non traditional ways. Wow. It's but, amazing. <laughs> but again, it's like, like unless you nerd out on it yeah. and actually look at like what the capabilities are, then you can start doing like these add-on missions. And that's sort of like the out-of-the-box thinking. Right. And that's the understanding not just your capability, but those other nice-to-haves that your capabilities, you know, mm -hmm. are bringing along with them. Can you think of like a scenario or some kind of mission or some kind of, or just anything during your your deployment to where you guys could, could you talk us through basically the decision-making process like what ideas came to light and you know how you guys talked through it and just came and, and I mean you can leave the out details to, out, <laughs> exactly like. exactly just if, if there's anything that comes to mind so for us um, and it was completely different one let me just say being with a special operations yeah. task force that there everything comes from the ground up so you have a team on the ground and they have sort of an idea, not just an idea, they have a, they know what they want to do. Yeah. And then from there, then it would be integrated up, going up the chain of command. Right. And then it's like, okay, that operation is approved. Um, so then it's a matter of injecting information operations in there appropriately. You know, we like to say it's not about sprinkling IO dust on stuff. <laughs> You know, because that happens a lot too. Right. It's like, well, you can't have an operation without having I.O. So let's sprinkle a little bit of I.O. on top of this, you know, operation. And then we'll say, yep, we thought about that too. Instead, it's more understanding the intent of what they want to do. And again, you know, the relationship that you have with those elements. So that when they have, you know, what we would call when they're in the idealization phase and not the actualization phase. Right. You can yeah. actually talk about, right, in idealization, like, hey, you know, we can help you by doing this. Um, and that'll accelerate your mission or it'll mitigate some of the risks that you're gonna have to your mission. Mm. And then also by being involved early in that planning process and having someone there basically to hear sort of like the hallway conversation, which is really what it is, yeah. then you can start formulating sort of like a plan because there's not an operation that's going to happen that's not gonna have some sort of element of like PAO needing to know about it. Right. Yeah. So we would very quickly have 
um, um, response to queries pre-built for anything that was going to happen. Whether or not those somebody actually asked a question about the operation doesn't matter. Right. It's more for us as being IO professionals, we didn't want our friends in PAO to be caught off balance because someone didn't tell them ahead of time, like, hey, something's going to go down, and if they ask a question, here's some pre-canned stuff that's going to assist you mm -hmm. um, with being able to explain what's happening. So that was one portion. Mm -hmm. The other portion was when um, our planning days were like Sundays. Because Sunday was sort of like, it was a softer day, so we used that for projected planning. So we would take a look at our, our environment and sort of what's going on in the future plans shop. Um, and just like through brainstorm. Like if we do this operation, um, like if we bring humanitarian assistance to this newly liberated city, right. what do we need to do proactively from all of our various IRCs to support that operation? And then we basically, we build out a skeleton for that and then we put it on the shelf. Or in this case, we put it in SharePoint. Yeah. Um, so that way, um, <laughs> when that operation actually came across, now um, for us, we never got that traditional like one-thirds, two-thirds, all right, we're going to do this operation in three weeks type of plan. It was more of the, hey, we're going to do this in three days type of plan. Right. So now we're able to shorten that planning time because we had taken um, the time when we weren't under stress to think about it and to ideate about it. So now we can now actualize it, you know, when it's actually time to happen. I mean, you have like a 60, 70, if you're lucky, 80% solution. Mm -hmm. And then you can actually put that into action so pretty quick. When you guys are building these scenarios, mm -hmm. how, what are you building them in? Like, is this a, an app order? Is this a, a white paper? How are you so putting these down and hanging them up on SharePoint? <laughs> it sounds horrible, but a lot of it was done through PowerPoint. Yeah. And the reason it was done through PowerPoint was not because PowerPoint is the solution, but it's the visual representation that PowerPoint allows you to put out there, like mm -hmm. whether it be battlefield geometry or, you know, troop movements or literally think about the distance of something. Um, so much of information operations is completely related to, like, space and mm -hmm. distance and, mm -hmm. like, you know, how far does stuff actually travel, you know, and what's yeah. the actual, like, topo like topography mm -hmm. of the battlefield. Right. Um, so we would do them up in PowerPoint. But then there's this area of PowerPoint called notes that nobody ever seems to use. <laughs> oh, we, I use them. <laughs> you know, so that's where all the details that's would go. That's where the narrative or whatever it is you're explaining in the PowerPoint. Correct. Okay. And we are very different um, in the way that we actually did our operational planning as Sagitif. And that's the, operators are only cut for very significant operations, like right. changes in phases, like, when we were there, we went from phase two to phase three, and then we were planning for the transition from phase three to like three Bravo, three Charlie, and eventually four. That's when those like traditional, like we're gonna write an op order type of moments happened. Mm -hmm. Everything else that was underneath that basically came in as a con op. And you're just, just a concept of the operation to implement this existing op order. Um, so that, that's how we did it too, yeah. And it goes back to like 
how do we, like, you have to get along with your friends. So if you know that your friend primarily speaks English, right. it helps to speak English. Mm-hmm. So if you know that the final product is going to be in the form of a PowerPoint, then you need to have a PowerPoint. So that way you're able to give it to them and say, here's my piece of your puzzle. Let me help you integrate it instead of, here's this white paper that I typed out. Can you please integrate that into your plan? Right. It's just a much easier way to interact with, you know. Okay. You know, at CJTF, um, they did everything much in their traditional op-order fashion. So when we're integrating into CJTF operations, we had again, right, we'd have to do it the way that they're used to seeing it. So that way it's not like, oh, this is something special. Well, let's put it over here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you follow anything that goes on in, in the world as far as elsewhere outside of the theater, like uh, with this whole um, Russia campaign with influencing stuff around here? <laughs> um, so, yes. Um, I find it fascinating, by the way. I, I, I listen to, like, try to get read as much as I can on the subject. I'm just... So we look at it from the perspective of how do other people conduct information operations. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we are actually very constrained on what we're allowed to do. Yes. Yeah. You know, very, okay. very constrained. Not so much. No, I mean, and <laughs> yeah. without naming names, other parties, mm-hmm. like, don't have those constraints put upon them. Yeah. You know, that to go from... You know, having, you know, if you want to call it fake news or misinformation right. or... Which is all, a much better term, or, by the way. Yeah, or, <laughs> just, or just straight up deception, right? Yeah. It's easier for those actors to get that into a major news source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas not so much with us. Um, it's, we're not going to put CNN on a helicopter and fly them in, fly them over Raqqa and try to convince them that, look, Raqqa isn't blown up. Right. Or that Mosul is not, you know, really, you know, had, has took some infrastructure, infrastructure is, damage. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't, you know, sugarcoat that, right? The battlefield is what the battlefield is. Right. Um, well, what's interesting, too, is not all the coalition partners had the same uh, idea of what PA and IO and MISO and how we're all separated either. So that's another thing that the I.O. was good for, was explaining why, like, if the PAO office is American because the lead on the command is American, right, then we're working under our constraints, whereas maybe some of our allied coalition nations had different ideas of what uh, public affairs can do versus having, like, somebody separate for uh, PSYOPs and stuff like that. And so we had a running list of which coalitions were allowed to do what and when and how. And it's the, the one thing I definitely wasn't prepared for um, during my deployment was that there's a difference between having the capability to do something right. and having the authority to do something. Even though it's like when you say it's like, oh, of course, that sounds so simple. Authorities are incredibly complex. So. Um, so it's not so much of like, you know, this actor is putting something out on Twitter. You know, we need to tweet back on that or we need to do this or that. It's like, well, are, do we even have the authority to put something out on Twitter? Yeah. You know, or for us, that meant that it had to go up to from a two-star special operations command now up to a three-star conventional 
you know, Forces. Forces Command, and then their PAO office would then decide if they're going to put something on their Facebook because they don't use Twitter. Yep. Wow. Well, and the the different operations didn't have Twitter. I think CJTF did, but the CJ Flick, I know we didn't. Our yeah. general had his personal Twitter, so that would be only things specific to his and that would be mostly reaching back towards the South State side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, so just from that, I mean, so... Social media is like a useful tool on the battlefield. I mean, it is very useful, but it's also so complicated because, I mean, you have to use it in such a specific way or else you're going to be dealing with the consequences. But one thing that we use social media for a lot and so really sort of like in that emerging area is that um, we have concepts of measures of effectiveness so mm -hmm. MOEs mm -hmm. you know so if you do an operation and then you start seeing some sort of resonance on social media right. that's a really useful tool that you can use to be like alright well you know the person who's responding to this on social media I know they're in my target audience right. And the fact that they're now posting something, or they're at least acknowledging that something happened, mm -hmm. that gives us yeah. gives you the ability now to really look at your audience without having like your traditional people on the ground passing out surveys or yeah. And we actually had three linguists uh, in our office that would read the local news, mm -hmm. and then would. Uh, type up the, the major headlines of the day and what it said. So then you could actually have physical proof, like your local impact on the population, because it would be reported in their local news. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they would they would do Facebook and Twitter, I think, as well, uh, just because the adversary is so active on yeah. on those two there. Um, and they would roll that up for us every day um, to send out. So we would actually have that measure of effectiveness that you're mm -hmm. talking about. It's really interesting to see what gets picked up <laughs> and what doesn't get picked up. Sometimes a little frustrating, but whatever. <laughs> the other thing, and it's sort of like you have those like you know those light bulb moments. And for me, it was interacting with our public affairs office, and that's to understand that um, public affairs is not necessarily they're not there to do stories. No. Mm -hmm. right, they're there to do you know traditional like releases yeah and but there really isn't a capability out there that whose job it is to do stories you know like human interest stories not necessarily like you know something that you want to do from like a meso perspective but just literally like talking about the human impact of a campaign right I mean it's a little outside our purview mm -hmm. which is unfortunate mm -hmm. um, because yeah, I mean you can't grasp that whole mission <laughs> and its impact uh, in a completely informative way, right? Yeah. So it's complicated. All of the relationships <laughs> and the jobs. But yeah, because I mean we do write news articles and release news stories and we do mm -hmm. features on soldiers and service members and all of that stuff. But no, we wouldn't necessarily write story. I mean, that would be why we'd bring journalists in, right, with the hope that they do that, which was what my job was. I was the me media relations chief, so I would bring in journalists. We would show them what had happened, mm 
and, mm -hmm. and take them out so that they could see it. And then we would hope that they would write that story and tell our great successes uh, and the impact that that has. And that's really going back to the previous question. Like that's the really like how we're so different um, with mm -hmm. the constraints that we have that a lot of other nations don't have that. Mm -mm. You know, constraint is not the, we're going to bring in the media and hope that the media writes the story. It's yeah. the, we're going to bring in the media and the story's already written. Yeah, we're going to bring in the media, and then they're going to tell that story. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, definitely some countries that do do it that way, which is fine. <laughs> it's not the way we do. But you asked earlier about, so what would be an operation that Iowa would do? So press tours are an excellent example of, like, something that's not, you know, going from, like, you know, the battlefield up, but something that's pushed from, like, a headquarters down. To understand that, all right, we're going to have media in this area, and that the primary purpose of this is for PAO, but there's definitely going to be impacts elsewhere in the information right. spectrum. So again, having those contingency plans already drawn up, and also to help PAO to understand, like, you know, when you bring in, you know, this reporter or this news outlet, to understand, like, all right, you know. How much you know traction do they normally get on their stories? Like, what's their traditional like flash to bang time from the mm -hmm. time that they put out a story? Like, they basically they'd come in and be exposed to something to when a story actually hits the news. Mm -hmm. um, really fast. Yeah. yeah. Today. <laughs> so fast. It's crazy. There is one moment um, that was really unique for us, and that's that an operation that we are involved in, in like. Like in the morning, it was very early in the morning. But then the very next morning, we saw it reported in Stars and Stripes. Yes. Which was, and not reported by like our PAO. Like they nope. picked it up from AP, mm -hmm. and then AP had been, then Stars and Stripes published it. Mm -hmm. Which for us was, that was the first time we'd ever seen that because one, Stars and Stripes is normally a few days behind. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> so just to, see things like that to realize like how fast this information can flow when you're going from an environment where um, there is no cell phone, there is no internet, right. there's only really word of mouth and how information can still come out of this environment and hit the world's media and 24 hours later it winds up on Stars and Stripes on a military post. Yeah. And I'll tell you how and why that happened is because that battlefield, right, that's not owned by us. We don't own that battle space. That's owned by the local soldiers and service members that are fighting in those countries and they can and will bring journalists out whenever mm -hmm. they feel like it. And then we'll be like, oh great, mm -hmm. there's a story out here that I had no idea about <laughs> It's not a great day for public affairs, but I could see how that, that would be an interesting thing for information operations <laughs> to look <Yeah>. at. Because <laughs> then we think, oh, why didn't they ask us first? And I mean, they don't have to, obviously. They're, they're welcome to do that. But yeah, it is an interesting battle space. I mean, the OIR battle space is one of the most complex that I've ever worked with, just because of the fact that we don't own it. There are so many players mm -hmm. there. And so many journalists um, that are interested sometimes, sometimes not interested, and I think it just depends on who they can get to do what they want. But it is it is one of those um, spaces where you do find that IO is is necessary to make sure everyone's nested together. So for me, it was really interesting because 
when I'd be able to call home. I remember talking to my wife, and we knew that there had been actually a CNN report on some of the stuff that we were doing. And I was like, did you see it? And she's like, no. And she was <laughs> looking for it, right? Because she knew what I was doing. And, right. you know, literally it's like wound up being on like on like 11.25, you know, on the nightly news, but really sort of like buried. And it's like when you're there and you're in the thick of it, like you, even though you know logically that, yeah, you know, for us, for you, that's the priority because that's right. what you're there doing. But for the rest of the world, it may not be. But when you're there in the thick of it and you're doing it 16 hours a day, it's hard to not have the delusion. Right. And basically start influencing yourself Ugh, and your especially actions. Especially during, when I was there during election season and I was like, can we just get a little <laughs> bit of time, please? Yeah. <laughs> so there's these major events that happen, at least in your battle space, they're major, major yes. events. Yes. Major. Like the fall of Mosul or right. the fall of Raqqa or the invasion of Raqqa. Right. That really, like, only have, like, a little peak in the news. You yeah. know, it's the, sort of like the, yep, it's still going on type of story. Um, so, yeah. Sometimes you just have to accept that, you know, and realize that that's not your target audience anyhow. Mm-hmm. We should probably start wrapping it up, up a little bit. But uh, one last I don't know if this is if I'll include this part, but uh, do you do you have any suggested reading material for for anybody who's interested in this kind of work? Well, there's always the traditional like, you know, was it influencing friends and gaining influence? I'd have to oh. how, to, how to win friends and influence. Yeah, yeah, how to win friends and influence people. Okay, um, which is like your. Yeah. Your normal go out there. Um, there's a honestly, there's a lot of TED talks on it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. That again, you're not looking for information operations. Like shockingly, there's not a TED talk yet on <laughs> the Army conducting I/O. Maybe we can be the first. Yeah, that um, would be nice. <laughs> we'll totally win awards for this podcast on I/O. Um, but there is there a are, there are a lot of podcasts about it. There are a lot of podcasts so, about anyway, I/O. So. But there's a lot of information on there on influencing without authority. And that's really what information operations is about. And going back to it, it's not where you're trying to influence other people to do stuff that you want. It's that, again, IO has no authority, you know, meaning we don't own anything. So everything that you do is just by developing relationships and convincing people that, hey, we're here to work with you, not against you. Right. And that we're literally here to help you synchronize so to amplify the effects that you can already provide. Mm-hmm. So that you can, going back to your commando solo, Yeah. how do people know what radio station to tune into? So Leaflets. You, you might want to drop a leaflet or you might want to have like a word of mouth campaign. Mm-hmm. Text messages. Yeah. <laughs> there has to be a way to, to get information right. out there. Otherwise, you're just... Literally, you're just burning gas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and helping somebody rack up crew time. <laughs> the coolest asset there is. Yeah. With the best name. Yeah, Commando yeah, Solo. Commando Solo. Mm-hmm. Commando Solo. Huh. It's not Commander yeah. Solo? Nah. No. <laughs> no. It's not a Commander name. <laughs> it's just an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys have like a, like a rolling tape of like six hours of content that just... Just, just being fed out to the world? It wasn't, it's, it's a loop, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's your traditional, like, 
call like just like you think of like a normal media cycle throughout a day. Yeah. If you yeah. were to think, but you're gonna have some. Yeah, like 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 NPR, like a, right. You yep. know from. Yep. So you'll go from, from three to six. It, it you'll have music, yeah. and then in between the music, you know, you may, may have like three songs, and then in between those three songs, then you'll have, you know, sort of like you know an announcement or a, an, an informative story, and then yeah. you'd go back into like having music. Right. Um, yeah. Crazy. It was very purposeful yeah. as far as the content that was yes. put in there. Like the information that's in there is super specific. And going back to not owning like the battle space or the airspace, you can't just broadcast in this case in a, in Iraq right. without having the permission of the Iraqis. Of the Iraqis, you know. So you have this wonderful content, and you think this content is unbelievable, but it still has to go through their ministry to get it yep. approved. Mm. <laughs> right on. Well, um, I think we can wrap it up. If you unless, unless you have anything else you wanted to add. I just I want to thank you guys for coming here. Awesome. Um, oh, thanks for... Yeah, we're excited. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're here at Microsoft. Say, yeah, so we should probably say where we Looking are. Looking at the mountains um, yeah, and the pond right. and just yeah, loving so, life. So Major Deary is yeah. also a uh, IT professional here at Microsoft. Correct, yeah. So at Microsoft, I'm a senior security engineer. Um, and I do traditional IT security from secure application development to pen testing and... Um, sort of like continuing that loop. Mm. Um, so it's a great example of your traditional like reservist or National Guard story yeah. of how I'm able to leverage not just my IT skills for the Guard, but really take the concepts of you know influencing without authority right. um, into this environment, my workplace, right. and then take the, the planning principles, agile development, and everything else that we practice on a daily basis here and then apply it to our daily operations and information operations. So it's very symbiotic exactly. on how the two work together. Um, and on top of it, I have a beautiful place to work. And yeah, you know, yeah. I don't know, it's not Such a bummer that we had to leave Camp Murray <laughs> all the way up here. Just kidding. I wish you guys could see this. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> One of the rare sunny days. In, yeah, the sun is shining, it's clear, <laughs> and we can see mountains from this conference room. So that's not too bad. Yeah.